series say scared, scared. and stressed out. Now, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. All that we've been dealing with is enough to scare anybody and stress you completely out. Now, I, I'm not going to talk politics. I really mean that. Some preachers say it, but they do it anyway. I'm not. But, man, it is enough. It's enough. All these commercials, all this stuff that's going on, it just gets on your last nerve. But I want to read a verse to you it's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It says this. I'm sorry, verse, well, verse 7. That's where I'm going to start. For the, spirit God, for, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful. We're not to be timid or fearful. But gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, that's a sermon in itself. I'm not going to teach from that in, in total today, but that's a sermon by itself. Christians take that a lot of different ways. For some, it means, I ain't scared of nothing. Praise God, I got, I'm, you know, they, they go into that route, you know, that, that realm. And I don't, I don't, first of all, that's not true. I'm scared of snakes. Now, I, I used to tease my family about going to the rattlesnake roundup, but I ain't been there yet. I used to tell Dad every year, I'm going to the Roundup. <laughs> but I know me. I'll be the first one to run. I, you know, I, I don't take unnecessary chances. I lock my doors. I lock everything. If you've been in this church, you know I don't play. You know, I'm serious about security. I'm serious about everything. I don't want any problems. You know what I mean? So I, I, are you timid? No, it's a different. I'm not timid. I'm just aware. This is not a verse calling you to be unwise. This is not a verse calling you to just be reckless. I buckled my seatbelt for a reason. I travel at a certain speed for a reason. I make certain decisions for reasons. I, I'm, I'm afraid to be broke. I don't care what you think about that. Let me tell you something. I hate being broke. Anybody been broke before? How many of you have been like, like broke, so broke, you, you, you can't even... Hardly move. You just, you know, it just get on you so bad. And then you, you're scared to go. You ever see, scared to go to the mailbox? You just go. You pray when you open it. Father, I'm opening this mailbox by faith right now. In the name of Jesus, I hope there's nothing in here. And, you, you know, it's just, it's a terrible way to live. We've been trained to live in debt. We've been trained to be in bondage. And, and so a lot of things make us uncomfortable. A lot of things. I, I don't like strife. There are a lot of things that make me uncomfortable. This is not a verse that calls you to pretend that things won't intimidate you. This is a verse saying God didn't give you that spirit. That's what it's saying. That that was never God's intent. That's the only point of the verse. You don't have to go around acting like he's superwoman and superman. He knows you're not. He's saying God didn't give you that, that spirit. God doesn't want you to be that way. God gave you something else. He gave you power. Now I believe that debt takes that from you. Certain decisions you make takes your power from you. God gave us a spirit of love. We're supposed to be, able to be okay with each other. We're not supposed to be people who are undisciplined. A lot of the challenges I've had in my life were tied to me being undisciplined. If I just simply, I say it all the time, it's simple things you can do, simple routines and rituals you can develop that can make your life better, much better. 
So you don't need a miracle. You need to just get up earlier. Go to bed earlier. Cut the TV off. That's all. You don't need a miracle. You don't need an angel to wake you up. You need to go to bed. Stop eating that. You won't be so sick. You know you can't eat that. You got diabetes time two. You don't need to eat that. You know that. You heard me say time two. You know you do. You don't need to eat that. You know if you eat that, you're going to be in all kind of, what kind of shock they call it? What, what you going to? What's that? Yeah, that. Right. All that. You don't need to eat that because you know. So there's, there's self-discipline. Say that word, please. I'm going to say self-discipline. Self-discipline. It's about you. A lot of us preachers preach self-discipline, but don't look like it. I won't say anymore. There, there's a point in our life where God looks and says, you know, I never intended for you to live a timid or scary life. I wanted you to be an empowered person, a loving person. I wanted you to be a person of self-discipline. I wanted your life to be better. That's all it's saying. But we use this verse to go around acting like we're Superman, Superwoman. That's not what it's about. I want to say four things today that I'm going to talk about this month that, that will kind of dive into this issue. Four things you should never be scared of doing. And I want to pause here for a minute because I'm really ahead of myself for a minute. If you don't have sermon notes, let me just say it because I know we have a video for that and I, I stepped in a little bit too early. Um, I want to just tell you on, on the app or at the Overcoming by Faith website, you can download the app and you can see the sermon notes. So feel free to use that. Let me say, let me list the four things. Repeat these four topics with me, please. Say scared to change, scared to, change. Scared to confront, scared to, scared to try, scared to confess or repent. Change is important in your life. And if you're scared to change, that, that's going to hinder your life for years to come. And we'll talk about that today. Next week, we'll talk about scared to confront. What have you been afraid to confront in your life? To look at and say, this needs to be confronted in my life today, this month. What are you scared to try? You're not willing to try. T-R-Y, try. What we're doing right now in the schedule that we're working, it's a try. I'm trying to find a balance between exhausting you and exhausting me and killing all the volunteers. I'm trying something. And if it don't work, we'll try something else. But at least I'm not afraid to do what? Try. Try a new way to live your life. Try a new way to communicate. Try. Try to cross a bridge. Don't let that tension live. Try. Number four, confess. You're scared to confess it. You're scared to say it. I use confess and repent together because there are two powerful connections in that. Repent means to think again. It means to come to a second opinion and say, I'm not going north, I'm going to go south. But if you don't, if you don't confess that and say that, this is the wrong way to be married. This is the wrong way to relate to my kids. This is the wrong way to deal with my own emotions. This is bad. I need to pause this. I have to confess that I have done this in a way that's unhealthy. Sometimes you look at your results and it tells you, I need to repent. I need to confess that wasn't the way to talk to her or him. And we'll talk about all that this, this year, this month. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to take you to a place where this is, comes out in living color. Israel, great study. They were wanting a king. 
And they wanted a king so bad because they looked around and they saw everybody got a king. Everybody has a king but us. They see the king out there with the, with the crown on, leading the troops in the battle, and they would say, we need one of those. You ever did that? See somebody that has something? You say, I need that. I need that. And you, and you want it, but you don't have it. Let me say it again. You want it, but you don't have it. And so here they are. They, they, go to, they go to Samuel at the time, who's a spiritual leader, and they say, Samuel, we have decided we want a king. Listen to what the text says, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as leaders, as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Bathsheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. His children didn't do what he did. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Verse 4, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Ramah, you are old, okay, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. We want a king. We don't trust your children. We don't believe in the next generation. And they were telling the truth. They were ungodly. I, I can, if I was talking to pastors, I would go through this whole thing about it doesn't have to be your children to take over. That depends on whether they're qualified or not. But this is not about that. Let me move past that. What I want you to see is these folks want a king. Rather than deal with the issue of the, of the, of the sons, they step over that. What they should have said was, we need to get rid of your boys. You ever go around the real issue and create a bigger problem? So instead of confronting them, Samuel, who was a great prophet in the Bible, I mean, great guy, it's amazing. You can be really godly, have a love for God, and your home can be a mess. He could not fire his, he couldn't fire his kids. Eli, his predecessor, had the same problem. So now you got two leaders, spiritual, spiritual leaders, whose kids are out of control. And he has the power to stop them, but he doesn't. So the people lose hope, and they come to him and say, we want a king. Now you could think, well, that's justifiable. You know, no, it's not. Not in Scripture, not in God's mind. God didn't want them to make this choice. It was the wrong choice. And I'll show you later why. He says, because your king's going to come. He's going to take your money. He's going to tax you. He's going to make you do things. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to send you to battle. He's going to do all kinds of things that I don't want you guys to do. Now, I want you to notice this. This is where on the obedience train, you heard me mention earlier, you can get on the train and God will say to you, okay, you need to stay on this train. They were on the right train following the Lord. They were on the right train. Spirit, they're on the right train as the nation. But now they've looked out the window and seen other people, and they want to pull the train and say, stop here. And he said, don't stop. Keep going. But they didn't want to do that. And so watch what happens. It's amazing. Watch what happens. They make four, incre four incredible lessons come to my mind. Number one, repeat them with me, please. Say, people can be wrong. Come on. A group can be wrong. Follow the crowd if you want to. A group can be wrong. Totally wrong. 
They call it group think. Where the group thinks a way, and you get around that group, and they all think in one way. It's hard to change their direction. Group think. It's powerful. Study. Read it on your own. Secondly, people can become hungry, power hungry. In my mind, I see a lot of that in our political environment today. It's about power, not about right, not about risk. It's power. I want, to, I want to be in charge. And that can be dangerous on both sides. Thirdly, people can go in the wrong direction for years. Sometimes when you get older, you look back at your family and you see we went in the wrong direction for years. The way we raised children, the way we ate, the way we would eat, the way we sit around and talk, the way we communicated was wrong in hindsight. You know how you know that? Look at the results. Look at the results in you as a person, the insecurities you carry, the things that you struggle with. The reason you're scared and stressed out is because you were raised in an environment that scared you and stressed you out. It was traumatic as a kid. Horrible. People meant well. See, hear this. People mean well, but don't always do well. So people can be wrong. People can be power hungry. People can go in the wrong direction. And people can, watch this now, fear separating from the pack. All the other nations have a king. Everybody else is doing this and doing that. Why can't we? Why, why can't we be different? Why, why do we have to be different? I don't want to be. I want to be like everybody else. You know, when we get ready to go places, we always ask somebody, so what, what are they wearing, right? You know why? We don't want to go in there and be different. And I understand that. But there are times in my life I've gone places, and I'm so tempted to dress up all the time. And I have to tell myself, here's what I say to Ricky. I tell Ricky this. They don't pay you. You can wear tennis shoes today if you feel like it. Your feet hurt. Put the tennis on. Mind your business. You don't have to be like everybody else. When my wife became a first lady, they have these first lady rules. But here's what I say. She is my wife. We're not going to have her all tortured. She could be dying with it. If she want to go woo-woo, whatever, woo-woo, baby, go ahead, woo-woo. Whatever makes her happy. I understand, you know, there, there is a problem when you're so big on conformity that you don't think about what's good for you. You don't know what's healthy for you. Well, they lost sight of themselves. God's response, watch this, verse 6. Watch God's response to their request to have a king. Verse 6 of 1 Samuel 8. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this is please Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen, this is important. He's going to say this twice. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. Everybody say, listen. Listen, listen to what they're saying to you. When people talk to you, listen to what they say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. Listen to what they're saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And as they have done, watch this now, it's important. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. Listen again. Listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will reign over them, will claim as his rights. This is a moment because it's really powerful. He says two things that stand out to me. Well, a number of things. One, he says, I want you to notice they've been doing this a long time. He viewed this as rejection of him. God saw this as a negative thing. Following the crowd can be a negative thing. So he admonished Samuel to listen. 
He acknowledged their, and I love this, this is so important, it's a big word, metacognition. That's a big word. Meta, M-E-T-A, cognition. Can you say that word with me, please? Come on. Metacognition. Now, here's what that means. That word means the ability, there's it on the screen, that word means the ability to analyze your thinking process. They're thinking a way, but they don't have the ability to analyze how they're thinking. Have you ever talked to people and say, that's not crazy? That's a metacognition issue. Especially when you say, well, can you, now look at it this way. You turn it around, and you say, now, can you see that? And they still can't see it. Everybody said metacognition, come on. So you're going to talk to people now and say, you know, you got a metacognition issue. <laughs> and it's because they can't analyze your thinking process. You've been there, though. Can you look back in your life and think of a season in your life when you had metacognition issues? You look back and you say, I can't believe I thought that way. I can't believe I made those decisions. God says they're thinking wrong. There's no way to turn them around. Their thinking is wrong. And let me tell you, once that gets into a family culture, hard to turn it around. That's why the word is so important, because the word teaches you to think differently. Number three, he acknowledged how long they'd been thinking wrong. Since they left Egypt. How could that be so? You just left chains and bondage and slavery, and now you all of a sudden got an attitude, a day out of freedom. A day out of freedom. A week out of freedom. God says, no, they've been, they've been rejecting me a long time since I freed them. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you something. When you do things for people and then they don't treat you right, it's tough. And you see them, God saying, hey, hey, I was kind to them. I led them out of bondage. And they have rejected me since they were free. It's powerful. Number four, he acknowledged they had backslidden, he said, a long time ago and were serving other gods. I saw them. I led them out of Egypt, but they brought those false gods with them. Those false gods didn't free them from Egypt, but they, they continued to re rebel against me. Then lastly, he said, but there's a long-term consequence for their decision. You know, you're going to end up in a place that you're not going to like. Here's what I believe is true. Every now and then in your life, God's trying to stop you. He's trying to get you to change your thinking. But they were too scared and they were too stressed out and too worried about being like everybody else that they were not willing to follow the Lord on that obedience train all the way. Are you refusing to change? I'm going to let you read it on your own, but in verse 10, all the way through verse 17, he starts listing all the things that's going to happen. The king's going to take your chariots. The king's going to take, he's going to take your kids. He's going to do this. And all these things are going to happen to you. He, all these things are going to happen to you if you follow the king. He gives them eight verses of verse 10 to verse 18. Here's what's going to happen to you. And they listen. You've had this happen. They listen to you. Sir. That's interesting. But verse 19 is powerful. But the people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, all the other churches, all the other families, all the other folks. We want to be like everybody else. 
with the king to lead us, to go before us. We want him to go before us in our battles. Verse 21, when Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, listen to them. Why don't you hear this? Listen to them and give them a king. If you don't listen to God, he will listen to you and let you have what you want. And then you really will be scared and stressed out eventually. Don't let fear make you do something foolish. Don't let fear push you. Slow your train and trust your God. Let's all stand. I can talk for another 30 minutes, but at the end of the day, the question is, are you going to change? Are you afraid to change? Right now, for some of you, this is the call to change. Father, I pray for those who are here and those who are home. For some, it's a call to change directions. For somebody in this room, it's a call to surrender your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want me to pray for you because you feel the call to change, you know you need to give your life to the Lord. You know that you've not been wholly following him. If that's you and you want me to pray for you right in your seat or where you, if you're watching from home, same thing. If you're here in the building, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Every head bowed, everybody pray for me, Pastor. I want to pray. I need change in my life. Just say pray for me. Raise your hand. Anybody saying pray for me? I see a hand. I see another hand. I see more. Thank you. I see you. If you're watching from home, I want you to type in the chat. I raise my hand. They'll put something on the screen for you so that you can simply say, yes, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. If you're watching on demand, just email me, pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. That's pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. And I'll be glad to send something to you to help you start your walk with Christ. Let's pray a prayer. Father, we lift our hearts to you today. We open our hearts to change. We invite you into our lives. We ask you to come become the Lord of our lives from this day forward. May this be that changing moment. And we give you all the glory and all the honor in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. Let the church say amen.